So this morning as I come to you and, and, and share, I've sought the Lord for hours upon hours, just saying, Lord, I, I just want to know exactly what you want to be spoken on this Sunday. And even in the singing today, the Lord just confirmed, even though I doubted and told him no several times um, as I prepared. You know, a lot of times, or I won't say a lot of times, every time that I prepare a message, the Lord is kind of uh, doing a, a work over me in the fact that I don't preach anything that um, the Lord is not first dealing and working in my life. I will never come up here in pride or arrogance and say that this is what you need to do and this is what the Bible says if I'm not willing to accept it myself and walk that path as well. And so whenever I'm preparing messages, a lot of times I find myself at a place of humility and repentance. And so as I share this message with you today, I come to you in a place of brokenness. As I began to prepare and and work and and just ask the Lord to show me, He first started by showing me in my own life this message. And so, I can't come to you any more raw than I am today. I can't come to you any more broken than I am today. Because as I prepared and as I sought the Lord, the Lord just continued to put me on my face And to cry out to Him. As I share this message today, I will tell you though that if we do not come at a place of humility, then we will never hear this word. If we don't get to the place where we say, God, I am willing to listen to your voice. I'm not going to put up defenses. I'm not going to try to explain myself here or there. I'm I'm just going to simply listen, God, and I'm going to obey. If we do that today, what we just sing about, we will truly see Jesus in the presence of the Holy Spirit. As I have prayed over and over, as I found out that Mobile Bay used to be called the Bay of the Holy Spirit, my prayer is that the Bay of the Holy Spirit will flood this city, even this morning. May we start with my life verse. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but yet in the demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this morning, I just want to be a vessel. Lord, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to be a vessel of honor, God, cleansed and ready for every good work. And so, God, I pray that today it's just the overflowing of the Holy Spirit out of this vessel that people see. They don't see me, they see you, God, and you alone. Lord, we love you and we praise you, for it's in your name. Amen. As I've been working through 2 Timothy on Wednesday nights, I kind of just felt like today that we would continue in 2 Timothy uh, with the full congregation. Obviously, on Wednesday night, there's uh, a few less, and so I want to make sure that everybody hears what is spoken uh, in verse 14 and on. So if you have your scriptures, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I am going to go on and prepare you and apologize. This is that season of, of time that for some weird reason, my nose will just start bleeding. 
If that happens, this is too important, I'm going to keep going. But bear with me, I have plenty of tissues. I'm a little bit nervous of that today. But for some reason during this season of life, this season of time of, of temperature change, that happens to me pretty regularly. In 2 Timothy chapter 14, it says this, Remember them of these things, remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about with words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearer. I want to stop right there. We're going to actually go all the way to the end of this chapter, but I want to stop right there and I want to ask you this question right here. What causes us to wrangle with words? What causes us to uh, have debates or arguments, discussions, but ultimately to wrangle about with words? As I sought the Lord, the Lord showed me two major things that causes a wrangling, an argument of words. Number one is that we want people to know that we know. Right? Have you ever been there? You're sitting there and and, and you get into a debate. Let's say politics. You take a Republican, you take a Democrat. And you put the two together and they both want each other to know that their view is right. And it never works out well. Has anybody ever seen people just hug and walk out together excited about politics after they come together and argue about it? I've never really seen it. Uh, Let's, like, like, I've seen two seminary students who will go to a coffee shop and stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning and argue over theology. I mean, even to the point that I've seen, uh, you know, two that, that, this true story, this really happened. Two people were discussing and arguing. One was saying that Billy Graham's tactics were wrong and the other one was saying it was right. And they argued for hours. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, who is the gospel going to in this moment? Like, what are you doing to further the gospel by y'all arguing over this? Or maybe it's uh, why churches have committees about what color the carpet's going to be. I know that we wouldn't have that here. But think about this for a second. People argue in committees about the color because they want people to know that, hey, I know what's right. Or maybe it's why husband and wife don't go shopping together. Because one knows what's right better than the other when it comes to the finances. You know, hey, this is a great deal. Yeah, but it's going to cost me how much? Right? That's what I always, we always joke at our house that, you know, it might be 50% off, but it still costs me 50%. Right? I'm telling y'all, this is real stuff here. (laughs) So in one sense, we want people to know that we're we're right and that that, that we know what's right. And we want you to come in line with what we are speaking. And I've even come to the conclusion that I've seen in in discussions, and and let's just go all the way to the point of arguments, I've seen in arguments that once you have convinced somebody that your way is right, you still want to make sure they know that your way is right. And it's like, though the argument is over because you have defeated the other person and letting them know that you're right, you still want to make sure, and just, are you sure you get this? Are you sure you understand completely? Y'all ever been there? I think the laughter in this place may be the fact that the Lord is bringing back things in your own mind of times that this has happened. But the other reason that we wrangle and argue or debate is 
that we have then been accused of something and we want to set forth straight what's happened. Anybody ever been there? Think about it. Somebody falsely accuses or, or, or just accuses you of anything. You may be right, you may be wrong. But in the moment, we begin to argue. Why? Because we want them to know that we're right. Listen, this happened to me even this week. Even this week. I found myself with my pride getting in the way of me saying, wait, hold up. I understand what you're saying, but, but, but I don't want, like, I want you to know the truth. I want you to know what, what like, hang on. Like, like, my pride began to get, I began to get frustrated and upset. Why? Because I was being accused of something that happened, but in my heart, listen, it doesn't make a difference in that moment. What, what needs to happen is not us getting angry and frustrated and coming forth and trying to explain or, or even trying to justify what has taken place. What we need to do is walk in the character of God. So what is the character of God? We're going to get to that here in just a few minutes. But I think that the reason that we wrangle and argue really goes back to a deep fear in humanity. And that fear is ultimately completely being vulnerable before people to realize that we ain't got it all together. I really think that the reason that we argue and we defend and defend and try to let people know that we're right and try to, to, to um, basically have a PR for ourselves, a public relations campaign going on, making sure that people know the truth of what's going on, is because we're afraid of being completely vulnerable and letting people know we ain't got it all together. Can I just tell you something? I've been saved for 20 years plus. I still don't have it all together. Every day I, I, I seek to be transformed by the Lord. And let me tell you something, I won't have it all together until I stand before Jesus. And here's my fear. And I wrote this down because I, I just had to make sure I, I said it right. We think, our greatest fear we think is, is that the world would see, that we'd be exposed by the world completely vulnerable and realize that we ain't got it all together. I know you shouldn't say ain't, but I'm going to say it today. But this is what our true fear should be, because I believe this is the fear of God. Our true fear should be that we are able to be transformed by the living God, but instead we would run from Him to protect our own fallen image. Think about this for a second. I think that deep down inside, whenever we try to just defend ourselves, we find ourselves in an argument, we want people to know. We don't want people to realize, hey, we ain't got it all together. And so we get into that defensive mode. But really what we need to be fearful is, is that we don't run to protect our own fallen image. Instead, we say, hey, I'm able to be transformed by the living God, and so I'm going to run to Him. In the scripture it says, be diligent, verse 15, to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. You know, that word ashamed, I know that in context there, there's, there's several different things. One is, is that we need to know the word of God so that we present it accurately to people. But I also believe that we don't need to be ashamed of the fact that we are a work in progress, that God, through sanctification, is continually growing us. 
See, when we get over it, when we get past the idea that, listen, like, like I got it all together and, and I can't let people know that I don't have it all together, what we do is we begin to walk in pride and people say, well, well I can't be part of a church because I ain't got it all together. But if I were to ask you in this place, how many of us don't have it all together, everybody would raise their hand. We're all a work in progress. We don't need to fear that and we don't need to be ashamed of that. But what we need to do is to proclaim that yes, though I don't have it all together, I know the one who does and I continue to seek his face every day that he will wash over me and that I will look more and more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. See, that's what we need to proclaim to people. I told you just, just this past week, I found myself struggling with this. Why? Because I was in a situation where, where I was trying to defend myself. And I didn't need to defend myself. Why? Because God knows my heart and that's all that matters. What I needed to do was to walk in the character of God. Allow the character of God to come forth from my mouth. So what is the character of God? I believe that we see that in Genesis chapter, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. Many of y'all have this memorized, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He says that all these things, when we're filled by the Spirit, when we're walking the Christ life, that this is what will come forth from our mouth instead of wrangling, instead of arguing, instead of trying to defend ourselves. So let me, let's just go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 22, it says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So faith, love, and peace, where else did we just see that? In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. He's saying, hey, you know, don't be wrangling with others. Don't, don't let these useful, this useless just wrangling of words uh, lead to the ruin of heart, but instead flee from that and pursue faith. Allow righteousness and love and peace to come forth from you. In verse 23 it says, But refuse ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. When you continue to try to defend over and over and over, guess what happens? You get into a, a, a quarrel, right? But what does it tell us here? It says in verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but he must be kind to all, able to reach, patient when wrong, and gentleness, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. What do we see here in this scripture? We see the fruit of the Spirit, the character of God coming forth from our life. Instead of us defending what's what's happening in, in, in anger and frustration, instead we walk in gentleness and love. You know, all those little funny conversations that I just mentioned about things that are going on, like uh, about committees and the carpet color and and a wife and husband going and shopping and all these things. You know, those things can really blow up into a major argument in so many different levels. Why? Because everybody wants to be right. But let me ask you this question. What if we both walked in gentleness and patience? What if we both walked in love And we shared with each other, you know, what was on our heart, but then was willing to listen to the other person in gentleness, love, and the fruit of the Spirit. What would take place is that people would see a relationship that looks more like Christ 
than two people wanting to be right. But see, when we focus on trying to be right, I call it man's PR, man's public relation. You're trying to create a PR campaign for yourself. When we try to create a man's PR for ourselves, here's what happens. We defend, we have pride, it leads to sin, and it leads to death. In Luke 9, verse 24, it says this. It says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. What this scripture is saying here is that when you're so focused on your own public relations, on what people think about you, and when you're so focused on the pride of life, of I, I can't let them know that I've ever done it, that, 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 that I've ever struggled or ever had a thought, like I can't, I gotta hold it all in. What happens is that Satan puts us on an island all by ourselves. Anybody ever been there? Oh, I've named the island. I mean, for all of y'all who have seen the movie, I don't even know the name of it, I've got like, I've got one of those uh, volleyballs that are one of my best friends, right? But he puts us on this island of us trying to, 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 to look according to the world and make the world think that we got it all together when we don't and we live this, this tough, difficult life trying to put it all... And listen, you can't do it. And neither can I. But praise God, as I said earlier, we know the one who can, and it's Christ. And He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell in our lives that the fruit of the Spirit may come out. So instead of defending and being in pride and ultimately leading to sin and death, what do we do? We walk in gentleness, we love, and we share the truth in gentleness. And what does it do? It pushes people to the King. Look at what it says right here in verse 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Like, instead of us going out and having to always be right, if we walk in gentleness, guess what we start to see? We start to see lost people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Like, we, we actually we see the gospel go forth. Why? Because it's Christ coming out of us. What does your flesh want to do when somebody accuses you? I know what my flesh wants to do. Wait, hold up. Let's talk. Better yet, you sit down, let me talk. Right? That's what my flesh wants to do. It's called human nature. And, and, and it all goes back to Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do when they were caught in sin? Well, they blamed each other, and then, then what they did, they hid. Right before they blamed each other, they hid. I heard a joke the other day, I have to share it here. This little kid opened, well, no, I won't go there. Um, sorry. I, had a, I, just, I, I looked up so many jokes for Wednesday night, I'll save it for the next Wednesday night for y'all. But Adam, what did they do? They hid. Why? Because they were embarrassed and fearful about their new nature. They didn't want to, to just be real in the fact and transparent, hey, uh, I, made a, I made a mistake, God. I've fallen. Instead, they were like, well, hold up, look, uh, I got some problems here. Um, I've fallen. We're going to go hide in the bushes. And I think that that's what we do sometimes. 
We let the evil one lie to us about us having to be so perfectly correct and everything right and that we're so fearful to go out and run for the kingdom of God because we're so fearful of failing that we'll just sit back and we won't do anything. Let me tell you what my MO is and I've had to, I've had to fight it in the name of Jesus. What I always run to is whenever I get in a situation I don't like, I just say I will never put myself in that situation again. So if I find myself, you know, like hanging out with, with somebody and, and we get frustrated or whatever, I'll just be like, well, I just won't hang out with that person again. That's real smart, isn't it? That's, that's really biblical, isn't it? Why? Because I begin in that moment to play God. I begin to say, well, okay, God, I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to do this and I'm not going to go there to, to speak to these people because I don't want to, I, you know, I'm not going to trust the Holy Spirit to walk with me through this situation. Instead, I'm just going to, I'm going to, hey, I'm going to let you off the hook on this one, God. I'm going to just not go. So that you don't have to, you don't have to walk before me here. I'm just not going to go. It's called playing God. But see, man's PR, defend pride, sin equals death, but God is a God of transformation. We should rejoice in the fact that God is taking us through transformation. And we should come together as a body of believers and rejoice together that we're all growing and we're not there yet. We're all growing day in and day out as we seek the Lord. And He shows us. Remember Psalms 139, one of the hardest prayers I pray, but the Lord has just completely just rocked my world with it. And I pray it as often as I can. And it's search me and know me, O Lord. Show me any evil way about me. Right? Why do I pray that prayer? Because I know that there's stuff in my life that I can't even see. I remember as a little kid sitting under uh, an incredible pastor named Brother Fred Wolf, and um, as I was sitting there, I remember him saying, you know, if, if God were to open us up completely and show us everything in our lives at once, we would not be able to handle it. I was young, and I still remember that today. So God's in the work of transformation. We just sang, Brother Ed just sang about uh, the, the potter and the clay. And it says in Isaiah 4, 64, 8, it says this. It says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. See, we should embrace the fact that God is molding us. Listen, that is a painful process. We should be excited about the fact that our God loves us enough to allow us to walk through life even with the bumps and bruises of life as He molds us into the image of our King. As we look more and more like Jesus, as He molds us for the ministry that He has for us, that's what God's doing. It's not about being so prideful and saying, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. It's about saying, hey, God's transforming my life and I'm excited about it. Hey, you want to come on the journey with me? It also says that God's transforming. It says that he, He's pruning us. What does it say in John 15 too? It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. But what does He do with those that bear fruit? He prunes it so that it may bear what? More fruit. How many in this place... Listen, we will be walking in sin if we say, God, I don't want any more fruit in my life. God, I'm going to sit back here. You know, I've worked hard for 20 years. I'm just going to chill out here on that island. And I'm just going to hang out by myself, God. 
But what he says, no, I'm in the process and I'm going to prune you. Listen, pruning is like cutting things off. Right? How many of y'all, I mean, I forgot to prune my knockout roses and now we've got like a mess. But some of y'all, you were pruning and you're cutting. And, and, and I don't know about y'all, but if you have knockout roses, I mean, you cut those down to almost, to, to almost nothing. And then all of a sudden, by the end of spring, it's like, boom, like here's these massive plant. My neighbors have a plant that like, is like, like this tall from the ground over here. And like they cut it down every, like right before the spring. And I'm like, man, they just like destroyed that plant. And by the end of the spring, it's like back up to here. I'm like, whoa, like how cool is that? That God shows us through his own creation what he's doing in our life. And that he's pruning us. And that he will cut off things here and there. It's painful, but we need to embrace it and be excited that our God loves us enough not to leave us in this state. But when we defend and simply say, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, we're sitting there saying, God, I'm right, don't take me any further. I don't want to be pruned. I don't want to be the, pot, the clay in the potter's hands. And when we run into that, we also see that God also disciplines us. And it's a beautiful thing. I can see my daughter is almost five years old, be five in about two weeks. I can already see the power of discipline in her life. If I count to two, knowing that I'm getting to three, she's doing it. Because she knows what's going to happen if daddy gets to three. Now, I understand that, that, that uh, hopefully your children don't even have to have a, a one, two, three count. Uh, but we're working on it. We're still at two. But if I get to three... Like, as soon as I say one, she's up. She knows, okay, I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta do, like, he means business. And whenever I've disciplined my daughter or my son because of things that they were doing that is not right, guess what happens? After a while, they don't want that discipline in their life. They learn and they grow from it. The scripture says the same thing about us. It says in verse, in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, it says, and you have forgotten, uh, and have you forgotten, the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when, when, his, when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. You know, I've shared this several times. Students and, and young people out there, listen, if your parents love you, they will discipline you. You might not want to hear that, but it's true. The Scripture actually says that he who doesn't discipline his child hates his child. That's in the Old Testament. Then it says, and, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you all have become partakers, then, then you are illegitimate child and not a son. It says, furthermore, we have an earthly father to discipline us, and we respect them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For, the, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good so that we may share what? In His holiness. And then it says in verse 11, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me ask you this question. Do you want God's transformation in your life? Are you going to be excited and say, I'm not going to be embarrassed or ashamed by it anymore. I'm going to let people know I'm a work in progress. Or do you have to be right all the time that ultimately leads to death? 
Which do you want in your life? Which do you want in your life? And I believe in my, my heart that each of us wants the transformation, the growth. Listen, this message alone is a transformational point in our life because God has taken this message and some of us are being pruned right there in that seat. I've been pruned all week. I've been walked through, through the, the, the potter molding me all week and I'll tell you, I come to you this morning literally in tears as we sang. Why? Because I was so thankful that my God would put this on my heart so that I would look more like Jesus. Amen. When we accept the transformational work of God, we see in verse 21 what happens. If anyone cleanses himself... How do we cleanse ourselves? Through the transformational work of God. He shows us. He's, the, pot, he's the, uh, the potter, we're the clay. He's the pruner, he prunes us. He disciplines us as a father. As we cleanse ourselves um, from these things, he will be a vessel of honor. We'll be used as a vessel of honor. Sanctified, useful to the master. And what does it say there? Prepared for every good work. You want to see yourself like respond in gentleness instead of anger or frustration when somebody uh, accuses you, then be prepared for every good work. Be prepared for every good work. How do we prepare ourselves for every good work? We allow the Spirit of God to wash over us through Him being the potter, through, through the, the pruning, and through the discipline. And when we fail and when we, when we walk in sin, what do we do? We walk through repentance, the discipline of God. And what does it do? It leads us to the next time being ready and prepared for every good work. But when we don't accept that in our life and all we say is, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, does it lead you to the next time to be ready for every good work? No, it leads you to say, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right to the next time. And you go through the same pain. Listen, I only want to go through the discipline one time. I ain't going to lie to you. I mean, think about it as a father. Like, for me, the first time I understand that my daughter or son didn't quite understand. But after they understand, I get a little bit more like, come on, like, really? You know, and eventually you're like, I'm not going to let this pattern continue. I'm going to stop this pattern. And what does it do? Usually the discipline at home goes higher and higher and higher, doesn't it? Why? Because you have to break through, don't you? Now, I'm not saying that, that, that you discipline in a way that, that, that is, like, absurd. But what I'm telling you is, is that as a father, ultimately, you know, you put a kid... With my kids, they're so young, like, you put them in timeout for, for a short amount of time. Well, if they continue to do that over and over and over, guess what? That time that they're in timeout goes up a little bit. Why? Because they didn't learn their lesson the first time. And our Heavenly Father disciplines us. I don't want to sit there and say, God, I was right. I want to sit there and, and fall on my face before God and say, teach me, O Lord. So that the next time I will show Jesus instead of me. So that the next time the character of God will come forth from my life and not my flesh. That I will be prepared for every good work. Listen, let me just tell you something. When somebody cuts you off on the road, you better be prepared what's going to come out of your mouth. If you're not prepared, well, let's just say it this way. You're always prepared for something to come out of your mouth. How are you preparing? 
you know, Wednesday night, I told, I told the whole group, I said, this is the reason that I don't go watch movies that are not G and sometimes occasionally PG rated. The reason that I will not go watch anything over PG is because I know that at any moment, at a, at a spur of the second, when I am just squeezed all of a sudden, something out of that movie could come out of my mouth. I want to prepare my heart for every good work right now for that moment. You say, David, I was in the moment. I understand, but we've got to prepare for that moment. Hey, I've been in several moments where I failed, and I had to go repent, and I had to go seek forgiveness. Why? Because I wasn't prepared for that moment. So I asked earlier, how do we respond to the, the accusations and wrangling? Instead of saying, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Let me tell you how we respond. Galatians 5, we've already read it. The fruit of the Spirit. I do want to read this scripture before we move on. I jumped one scripture ahead. In Jeremiah 17, 5-9, I want you to see this. You know, ultimately, trusting in the transformation of God is trusting God. And, and the PR, the public relation of, of self, trying to, to make sure that you look okay and that, that you're not afraid to, you know, you don't want anybody to know that, that, that you're a work in progress and all those things. Basically, you're trusting man because you're trusting yourself, Right? Let's see what Jeremiah 5 and on says. Thus says the Lord, Curses the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he is like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitants. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by the stream. And he will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? What do we see here in Jeremiah? When you trust in man, and you trust in yourself, and you're always right, and you're always just, the pride of life is just oozing out of you. What we see is you're like planted in the desert with no water, useless. But when you trust the Lord and you say, I'm not afraid to tell people, hey, I'm a work in progress. God's still teaching and showing and directing me. You know what happens? Your roots are right there along the stream, drinking of the, the living water. And that tree grows even more and more and is even more useful. So let me ask you these questions today. When we're prepared for every good works, our response will always be, will always be with the character of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So in all circumstances, let me ask you this. In your marriage, are you reflecting the character of God? Or is it about who's right? When you talk to your wife or your husband, you know, everybody, you want to... You uh, I was talking to a counselor the other day, um, and they, they made the comment. They said, if you want to, you know, you want to defuse a situation, all you have to do is say to the person, you're right. You know why? Because that's what people want to hear. That's what they want to hear is you're right. 
But here's the thing. In your marriage, when you're having that conversation and you begin to get into an argument, a debate, as some of us like to call it, a discussion, a highly animated discussion, then let me ask you this question. Is it about the character of God coming forth from your life or is it about who's right? At your job, when you're talking to your boss or a coworker, and you get into a struggle, is it about the character of God coming forth from your life or is it about who's right? With your family members. Maybe it's where you're going to spend Christmas vacation this year. Maybe it's about who's going to take out the trash. Maybe it's just about something that's going on within your family. Is it about seeking the character of God in your life and in that conversation and situation or is it about who's right? Let me tell you something. Let me go back to that quote that I said earlier. My greatest fear is that I would have the ability to be transformed by the living God, but yet I would run from that in order to protect my fallen image. My greatest fear is that I would get caught up in protecting my fallen image and miss out on the transformational work of the Father in my life. So let me ask you this today. Do people see the character of God coming forth from your life? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But Paul also talks about the the, the fight between the flesh and the spirit. Like, at any moment, I could walk into sin. I mean, I'm just, I'm capable of it. I have to yield to the Holy Spirit, and I have to cleanse myself and prepare myself for every moment of every day. I never realized how important it was what we pray as we leave. At 6 o'clock in the morning, we sit right here. And as I leave, at six, we, we always pray at 7 o'clock. I say, Lord, direct us, guide us, just speak through us today. Why is that so important? We're saying, God, prepare us because we don't know what's going to come our way today, but you do. We don't know what split-second decisions we're going we're gonna to find ourselves, but you do. And you know what the beauty of it is? Is that when you focus in on yourself and you finally convince, convince somebody that you're right, you, you boast in yourself. But when you walk in the Spirit and you walk in the character of God that comes forth from your mouth, when the situation is like, whoa, like, like, and everything is, is, is amazing at that moment, guess what happens? You glory in the name of Jesus because you know it's only Him. You know it's only Him. So as we close this morning, this is what I want to ask you. In all circumstances of life, is it about the character of God being portrayed from your life, even in the split-second decisions, or is it about who's right? You can be right about everything in life, and you will still get a ticket to hell. You can be right and, and go to your grave knowing that I was right, I was right, I was right. And the whole time you miss the fact that it's only by the blood of the Jesus, it's only by the blood of the Lamb that we have the transformational work in our lives, that we can humble ourselves before the great I Am, and that we can walk and speak the character of the living God. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, David, I don't quite understand that, let me just be very specific. I believe according to Genesis that, that there's a fallen state because of what took place between Adam and Eve. 
the reason that we want to claim that we're right and want to stand forth in pride all goes back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. All because of the fall, the sin of man. But as we celebrated last week, we could not do anything but God sent Jesus so that we could be saved. It's by Jesus taking on the cross the sin in our lives. And we just sang, I've seen Jesus. The power of the fact that He rose on the third day, conquered death in the grave. And when you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it says in Scripture that if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, 